0: well good morning centennial family and uh, friends that are joining us on the live stream this morning we're uh, excited to get to be with you and we are in the middle of a sermon series on the abundant life that we have in christ and we are springing out of this verse in john ten ten, 10 where jesus says i've come that they might have life and have it abundantly And this morning, I want to talk about a wonderful blessing that God intends for every believer. And and this is something that's just woven into the fabric of our abundant life in Christ. And I'll put it this way. The abundant life in Christ is a life of meaningful purpose. You know, we often hear philosophers who pose the question, what is the meaning of life? Well, I think the more relevant question for most of us is what is the meaning of my life? You know, everybody wants to know the answers to questions like who am I as a person? Am I valued? Do I have purpose? And of course, the Bible has really comforting answers to each of those questions. But this morning, I want to focus in on the very last one Does my life have a purpose? I'm going to center my message this morning in the book of Ephesians. Now the whole first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the fullness, all these different dimensions of our salvation in Christ. And then when we get to chapter 2, he tells his readers that they have been saved for a purpose. We see this in Ephesians 2.10. Let's read the verse together. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this morning, I just want us to dig deeper into all of this amazing truth that's packed into this one little verse. We'll look at some other related scriptures also, but we're just going to take this verse phrase by phrase. So look at how Paul starts out. He starts out by saying, for we are God's handiwork. Now, the Greek word translated in the NIV version here as handiwork is the work poema. The word poema, it, it just means something that's been made. But in our day and age, it's really important that we understand this word because almost everything that we know that's been made has been machine made. It's been mass-produced but this word in the context of the first century carried the idea of something that was skillfully handcrafted something that was unique so think about a fabric in the first century that with great effort is being woven together by hand and when that fabric is finished it'll be one of a kind you couldn't replicate it exactly even if you wanted to Or think about an artist who takes time and pours lots of creative energy into producing a painting or a song or a poem. In fact, our English word for poem is related to this Greek word poema. So if you look at some of the more contemporary English translations of this first phrase, they're trying to get at this meaning. So they render this first phrase like this. One translation says, for we are God's masterpiece. Another one says, we have become God's poetry. So let me ask you a question. Is this the way you see yourself? As a, a beautiful work of art that God has created? I know that some people would say, well, <laughs> Not really. I mean, if I'm honest with myself, I would say that a a lot of times I feel kind of worthless. I'm ashamed of who I am. But someone famously said this God doesn't make junk. And that's exactly what this verse is telling us. You are God's workmanship. Look at how the psalmist just marveled at at how intimately involved God was in our creation. We see this in Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. We'll read it together. It says, You are the one who created my innermost parts, you knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. Verse 15. My bones weren't hidden from you when I was being put together in a secret place, when I was being woven together. Your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll every day was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. You see, God was thinking of you before you could think of yourself, who you are, Every day of your life was carefully planned by God. And the amazing thing is that this happened before anything had even been created. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, He chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. So here's what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that you are God's handicraft. He chose you. He knows you. But someone might say, well, that's great that God had such wonderful intentions when he was creating human beings. But look around. I don't see many masterpieces walking around. What I see look like art projects that got wrecked. And sadly, that's true. Paul admits as much. In the second chapter of Ephesians, the first three verses, Paul says that before Christ rescued us, we were dead in our sins. We couldn't help but sin. We were ruining our lives. Look, because of sin, we are all damaged goods. Like a beautiful painting that was almost destroyed. I imagine that Leonardo da Vinci's most famous painting would be The Last Supper. I bet you've seen this painting before. Let's just take a look at it to remind ourselves. Here's the painting. Now this painting is a fresco that means it's just paint on plaster that went right on the wall it was done in the late 1400s it's in a convent in the city of Milan Italy and I bet that when this painting was first done that it was stunning but Over the centuries, in fact, almost from the beginning, this painting has been subjected to all kinds of damage. The high humidity in Milan caused the paints to fade, and then the plaster to mold and actually start to come off the wall. Candlelight was used in that room for many, many years, and the smoke darkened the vibrant colors. And then there were wars. You know, Napoleon's troops used this room as a stable, and the soldiers hurled manure and stones at the painting. Later, a World War II bomb almost obliterated the building. In fact, if you look at pictures of the destruction, The wall that the painting is on is one of the few things that did not completely crumble. And then there was a little remodeling project where someone thought it would be a really good idea to cut a door right through the wall that the painting was on. And you can still see it today if you look carefully at the picture underneath where christ is seated it's the top of a door that goes right through the bottom of the painting well so much harm was done to the painting that there have been numerous attempts at doing restorations but art experts who've studied the painting carefully say that some of these restorations actually disfigured and changed the painting in other words They did more harm than good. Now, the most recent restoration was completed just a few years ago, and uh, Linda and I have had the chance to see it. That's what you see pictured here. But you know, there's a running debate among experts as to whether by this point in time, anyone can be precisely sure of what the painting originally looked like. So if you ask me, I'd tell you, I've seen the Last Supper, but maybe I haven't. You know maybe it has changed that much over the years. Of course, if Jesus was meeting with his disciples in today's environment, well, da Vinci would have had to paint a completely different scene, because you couldn't have had a dinner meeting. It would have needed to be a zoom call. And uh, you know what da Vinci painted might have looked like this. So, seriously, this painting has been so abused over the centuries that there would only be one way to properly restore it. And that would be for da Vinci himself to come back and restore it according to his original plan. Friends, that is exactly what has happened in our lives. You were God's beautiful design. You were made in God's image. But sin, both your own sin and the sin of others, has made a mess of our lives. And it's so bad that we can't do a proper restoration on our own lives. Paul says, you were as good as dead. And a dead person can't help themselves, and neither can anyone else. But here's the good news. Our powerful Creator, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, He has done a restoration on our lives. And this is exactly what Paul begins to refer to in the next phrase of Ephesians 2.10. He goes on and he says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. This is a reference to our new life in Christ. It refers both to our original physical creation, but more than that, it's referring to our recreation, this restoration in our lives that's been made possible by the salvation of Christ. So you are God's masterpiece, but more precisely, we might say, you are God's restored masterpiece. And God's not through with you yet. That restoration continues every day as God shapes us more fully into the image of Christ, and as, uh, you know, we are actually being changed from the inside out. And a lot of that comes from God's ongoing healing in our lives. But listen, God doesn't just save us from something. He saves us for something. And so now Paul is going to begin to speak about the purpose for which we have been made. The verse continues, the next phrase says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now the Greek word that's translated works or work just means an act. It means something that's been done. It, it could mean any deed. So, so what does Paul have in mind when he talks about a good work or good works? Well, we see paul use this phrase a number of other places in his writing i'll show you a few of the verses where he mentions this term and uses it here they are now i don't have time to read each of these verses to you but i just want to tell you what you find when you look at paul's use of this term each time that paul uses this phrase in these verses there's a direct connection to God. In other words, God is the one who enables the good work, and God is the one who's honored by the good work. Now, we might be involved in the process. We might be the ones doing the good work. Other people might be blessed. But Paul wants us to know that God stands as the reason behind it all. So there's a a defining scope to this term. And here's what I think Paul's... Definition would be of good works. Good works are acts performed by believers as a result of their desire to serve and please God for which they have been prepared by God. So this brings us to the next clause. Paul says, For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. So let's stop and think about this. Not only were you created, we might say, created in advance to do these good works, but here Paul is saying the good works God has in mind, they also were created by God in advance. This is such a hope-filled biblical truth. Think about this. First of all, you were made for a purpose. You were made by God to be an active agent in his plan for what happens here on planet Earth. You've got the privilege of joining with God in what he is doing in history. Boy, if you're looking for a life of significance you might want to try that one on. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. And then secondly, these good works that God has in mind for us, Paul says they've been prepared by God in advance. He doesn't mean like a month ago. What Paul means is the good works were prepared in advance of your existence. So in a sense... You were made for these things. You were custom-built for these parts of God's plan. They've got your name on them. Now, think about that. What this means is when God prepared his plans and had certain, let's say, ministries or good works in mind, no one else can do those like you because you were custom-built to do those things. Now, someone might say, you know, hold on, John, you know, uh, I think you're getting out of balance because certainly God's purpose for our life includes more than just doing good works that he's prepared for us. And I would completely agree with that. You and I were created to have a relationship with God. You and I were created so that we could become more like Jesus, But let me tell you how God has designed for these things to work. Each of these important aspects of the Christian life, they're not siloed. They're integrated. So we grow in our relationship with God, and we grow in Christlikeness as we go into our world and set our hands to the things that God has prepared us to do. But listen, life is a long and complicated journey. I think that all of us would agree with that. I have a, a friend who lives in Canada, and he took a picture of a sign that stood right at the beginning of a trail. It was a warning sign. And I think this sign describes how many of us seek to kind of find our way through life. Look at what it says. It says, No well-defined trail beyond this point. It can't life be like that at times? So, how do people find the purpose and the good works that God has in mind for them? Well, I think that there are various ways that people attempt to discern their path through life and discover a sense of purpose. Some people begin with a mirror for these people self is their starting point they look in the mirror and they say what makes me happy what am I passionate about what am I really good at and then they use these things to guide their course through life now don't misunderstand me I'm not saying that self-reflection isn't helpful I think it is but, but here's what some people do. They're trying to navigate their way through life, and the whole time, they're, they're staring in a mirror. You know, it, it's kind of hard to, to see where you're going when you're obsessed with self. You know, when you look in a mirror, here's the fact. You're not looking forwards. You're looking backwards. So there's some problems with this approach. Now, other people... They're they're not looking inward, they look outward. They're looking to the world around them, they're asking themselves, you know, what are the needs and opportunities? They let these sorts of things guide the course of their life. So it's kind of like these people are taking a magnifying glass. And like Sherlock Holmes, they're looking around, they're saying, where are the greatest problems? What what needs to be fixed? How, How can God use me? Who needs my help? Now, I'm not saying that being aware of needs and opportunities is not important, but listen, there is an inexhaustible list of opportunities out there. So how do you know what to do and what not to do? I actually think that this approach causes a lot of anxiety for people because they're always wondering, am I doing the right thing? What what if I give my life to something that God didn't have in mind and I end up disappointing him? Well, there's one more approach that I see people taking, and that's this. It's people who say, I've already got my way in life planned out. I've got my roadmap. Here it is. I'm going for this career, and I've set these goals for myself. Got it figured out. And you know what? If God has some good work in mind, and it happens to intersect with the path I've chosen... Then I'm good with that. But I'm not changing my plans for someone else's agenda. Well, listen, those who would choose to make their plans without consulting God uh, might be wise to read Psalm 94.11. Because Psalm 94 says this the Lord knows all human plans. He knows they're futile. That's what the verse says. Futile! So, obviously, I'm being facetious here, and I doubt that anybody would be as extreme as those examples, but listen, there is some truth in each one of those. And I bet if you think for a moment, people would come to mind that could fit pretty neatly into each of those examples. Well, obviously, I think it's clear from Ephesians that Paul has another option in mind. Paul affirms that we have been created for a plan that God has made to do certain good works that he's prepared for us. So how do we orient ourselves so that we can find those good works? I think Paul gives us a clue in the very last phrase of Ephesians 2.10. Let's look at it again. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For us to do. What what does that mean? Was Paul just an early spokesperson for Nike? Just do it. Does not matter? Just get out there and do something good for God. Well, I don't think that's what he had in mind. And this is a case where I think we would be helped by a slightly different translation. This is the NIV. But let me give a translation that is more carefully following the the Greek wording that Paul used. So that would be if the verse read like this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Walk in them. Now, the word walk in the Greek is peripateo. I mean, literally, it just means walk. But figuratively, in this kind of context, it would mean something like this. To to move through the activities of life. Or we might say one's walk in life. But once again, when Paul uses this term, He has a more narrow definition. And if we look at those, they can help us see how Paul understood this. So, for example, here are some phrases where Paul uses the same Greek word. Walking in the newness of life. Walking with the Spirit. Walking by faith. So... When Paul uses this word, and he's referring to believers, and he's using it in a positive sense, almost always there is an explicit or at least an implied connection to either God or something that God wants. So I think we could say this, if we were to kind of use Paul's definition. The believer's walk is a course of life that is dependent upon, guided by, and pleasing to God. So, instead of starting with a mirror or a magnifying glass or a map on which we've already mapped out our journey, I think instead Paul would urge us to begin with a spiritual compass. Now think about it. A compass goes right with us on the journey, just step by step. But in a sense, the compass is actually leading us. It's like it's out ahead of us. When you set your course according to a compass, you're setting your course according to a reality that is unchanging, one that is beyond yourself. And I think this is exactly what Paul is encouraging us to do. This is the function of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our lives. Here's the interesting thing. When you are being guided on a journey by a compass, there's actually freedom. There's a freedom for a change in movement as long as we're headed in the right direction. Now, I'm not saying that these other tools aren't useful. They each have their place, but in a supplementary way. So, for example, self-reflection is really good, right? It can help us understand why one route to a destination might be better than another one, given our strengths and weaknesses or our gifting. But self-reflection only informs our journey. It can't tell us where we're going. And a magnifying glass to kind of size up needs and opportunities, that's helpful. But thankfully, we only have to be prepared for the needs and opportunities that will lie on the course in which God is taking us. It's not to say that other needs out there are unimportant, but you know what? We're not the only ones journeying with God. Others will take care of some of those other needs. And a map for the journey can be really useful. But only if we have first fixed our bearings. Otherwise, a map is just a complicated way to get really lost. So, what is Paul saying when he says that we should walk into these good works? Here's how I would put it. We discover our purpose and find the good works God has prepared for us in the midst of our walk with God through life. Now, I know that this isn't what some people want to hear, because particularly as I speak with young adults around the country frequently, I'll have someone come up to me and say, John, if this is so important, why doesn't God just tell me what his plan is for my life? And you know what I'll usually tell someone like that? I'll say, here's why. Because God loves you. If God were to just simply give you his plan for your life, you know what you would do? You would say, thanks, God. Hey, I'll get back with you when I need you. That's exactly what you would do. And God doesn't want that for our lives. You need an everyday relationship with Jesus. God wants to walk with you through life as your guide. You see, our walk with God is an opportunity to get to know God. It's an opportunity to discover the things that He cares about and what His will is. It's in our walk with God that He teaches us through the example of Jesus. This is exactly what Paul is telling the Ephesians in chapter 5. Look at some of the things that He says. He says, follow God's example. Find out what pleases the Lord. Understand what the Lord's will is. We come to know about these things, and we come to know God's specific will for our life as we walk with God through life. And here's the wonderful thing that I I think people don't take into account, and that's this. When you're walking with God as your guide, you can't get off track. You you won't miss your purpose in life. You won't miss a single good work that God has in mind for you because He is the one who's leading you. You don't have to know everything in advance when God is guiding you according to His will. And this is what Paul is getting at when in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he says this. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So God can work out his plan for our life according to his will. Now listen please don't allow this word predestined to trouble you. I mean, certainly there is mystery in how God is able to work out His will in concert with our choices. But I kind of think God is up to the task. In the Bible, the truth that God predestines certain things according to His will is never viewed as a problem to be solved. It's always viewed as a solution. So receive it for what it is. It's God's gift to you. So if Paul was here today, if he was preaching this sermon, and uh, you know some of you are probably thinking, well, that would be really nice if, John was pre- if Paul was preaching instead of John. But this is what I think Paul would say. I think Paul would say, walk with God into the good works that you have been created for. Now, I know that some people might be hearing me right now and they might be thinking, but you don't understand, John. I've already messed up. I haven't been following God's guidance. And my situation seems hopeless. And if that's how you're feeling then I know that God wants to give you hope right now. You're not the first person who got off track. God is greater than our past sins. He's bigger than our failures. Listen, there was a time when God's chosen people completely abandoned God's purpose for them. They didn't just, you know, stray from the path. I mean, they sinned. Terribly. And they were reaping harsh consequences for the choices they had made. And in the midst of that dark situation, God spoke to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And he said to them, and I believe he still says to his children today, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. It's never too late. It's never too bad. You're never too old to turn back to the Lord and come under his loving plan for your life. Now, others of you might feel some apprehension as you hear this message, because you might be thinking, if I allow God to guide me, where might he take me? You know, will the good works he have in mind for me, will they really be good or something else? Well, let me be honest with you. Some of the good works God has in mind for you might be challenging. They might stretch you. They might cost you something. Just look at the life of Paul, the life of Jesus. But even though some of these good works might be difficult, they will still be good. Because God's will for your life is always what's best. So you don't have to be afraid. You're not on this journey alone. God is guiding you, and He's always guiding you toward His best. I think Ephesians 2.10 holds such promise for the life of the believer to think that you have a purpose. God has created certain parts of your life just for you, and He will guide you into those things. And listen, here's what I know. You will find great joy as you discover that you've been made for these things, and great joy finding that you have a life of meaning and significance. And you'll have joy knowing that you're not only pleasing God, but you're blessing others as you do these good works. So here's my challenge for you in response to this message this morning. It's very simple. Would you just take some time, to meditate on this verse this week. It's just one verse. I can can preach about the hope of this verse. The one thing I can't do is know the details of your life. But God knows those things. And as you spend time with Him around this verse, I think He will show you what it means for you. Maybe it will be a springboard for praise. Maybe you'll sense you need to turn back to the Lord and allow Him to guide you, whatever that might be. Please take some time with this verse this week. To close, I'd like to read Ephesians 2.10 one more time. And what I'd like to do is use a translation that's probably not familiar. And maybe this will help us hear Paul's words afresh. Reading from the Passion Translation. We have become his poetry a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny He's given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the Anointed One. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this blessing that you've given us purpose in life. You're not only thinking about us, but you were even preparing good works for us. Lord, may we always choose to allow you to accompany us and guide us as we move through life. So that we might find and do these good works. So that we might honor and glorify you, our creator. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.